Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and whoever else might be there. Uh, this is Dr. Simon, and the show is The Stories We Live By. And today I wanted to talk about stories about morality, and especially in the light of the uh, media, uh, what, what is the right word, orgy, the media orgy concerning the morality of our current crop of uh, high-class celebrities, uh, Lindsay Lohan, Tiger Woods, uh, and at this point, uh, dominated, the media is dominated by discussions about the rightness and wrongness and goodness and badness, and what word do we apply to Mel Gibson. Uh, this is a, 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 an important, I think, an important topic, because what I hear on the media, what I hear from other celebrities and from the talking heads uh, that constantly deal with the transgressions and the justifications and the explanations of these and many other celebrities uh, is, I believe, destroying any sense of right and wrong, any sense of goodness and badness, any sense of morality in our culture. And uh, I have spoken many times uh, about my pessimism about the future of the United States, the country I love. Uh, I see it getting dumber and dumber, uh, not from the point of view of basic IQ, that's probably even going up, not from the uh, basis of, of technological understanding, but the kind of narratives that guide life, the kind of stories that form character, that uh, get people to behave in certain ways uh, as scientists and moral philosophers within the narratives they live by. Uh, the, the narratives are, are disappearing. It's, it's more and more uh, sound bites. There's no depth, there's no history, there's no fundamental understanding, uh, there's no standing back, as I can see, or less and less standing back and, and looking at situations uh, such as the one we're talking about now from outside the box. It's everything is inside uh, how the media uh, and, and the, <coughs> excuse me, the lowest common denominator of discussion uh, deal with uh, uh, these stories. So the stories are getting, as far as I can see, kind of washed out, increasingly washed out. And um, the kind of politics, and I've <coughs> spoken about this many times uh, in past shows, uh, is disappearing into a morass of uh, judgment and name-calling, uh, and what's disappearing is any kind of decent discussion about facts, any kind of real debate. Uh, you're a liberal, you're a conservative, and it kind of ends there. So I want to back up a little bit and establish a framework for this discussion. Um, I'm going to be a little professorial tonight, and uh, when a lot of people hear that in our culture, that will get them to turn this thing right off, this show right off, because uh, more and more professors are becoming a kind of uh, band leaders. They're becoming uh, celebrities in and of themselves. 
the students rate the professors, and uh, the students determine what's going to be more and more in the course. And it's impossible for a student to understand what a good professor or bad professor is in educational terms. The students can certainly understand the, um, the entertainment value of a professor. I used to say to my students before I retired, what I have to do, I guess, is rhyme my lectures and bring a piano player and dancing girls in. Uh, that will get a large number of people to pay attention, or at least maybe pay attention for 10 or 15 minutes. But to go into a detailed argument, uh, that becomes painful. It was painful for me when I was in college, and yet by staying with it and being motivated by professors who wouldn't give an inch on this, uh, my mental health wasn't their concern. My happiness wasn't their concern. The last thing they all seemed to care about was whether I liked them or not. What was important, I think, to most of the teachers I respected is that they demanded a respect of me. And I'm not now talking about obedience. Uh, I had a lot of teachers I feared and not necessarily respected. But the best of my teachers in grade school, high school, and then especially college and graduate school induced no fear. What they induced was a sense of respect for the arguments they created and for the way in which uh, their stories related to me and made me feel as if it was important and fine for me to understand those stories. And a lot of these individuals I didn't particularly like at the time. Um, they weren't there to tell me how wonderful I was and how grand I was. They were there to teach and uh, sometimes their egos were more important than my ego. So it was a long time after those classes that I discovered how really good these professors were. And I know from my last years of teaching, that kind of teaching, that kind of instruction has begun to disappear as students rate their teachers uh, and as the politicians uh, who are trying to save money or control the, the uh, religious and, and uh, ideological content of classrooms, uh, attack teachers for their lack of success in getting students to give them high ratings uh, when those ratings have no meaning in terms of the student's ability to understand at that moment the quality of the arguments and the stories being presented them by their teachers. Right? It's not that it's not important. Uh, and certainly, I think every professor, every teacher has to treat students with respect. But that respect as a teacher, as a professor, has to uh, come from information and ideas that are, uh, are state-of-the-art, that really get people to think that are presented in a way to catch the imagination of students and make them see things uh, in a different way from outside the box, that get them to question uh, the way in which they've been raised and the stories they've been living by. Uh, kind of the same thing a good therapist, and I put that in quotes, does. To get individuals to see their lives uh, from outside the stories they have formed uh, with the stories that they've been helped to form by parents and teachers and clergy 
and increasingly in our society by the media. So let me step back and be a little professorial, having now tried to justify being professorial. We are storytellers, and we make up stories based upon two elements. One is the observations we make and the facts that we decide that are true. Uh, the facts that are told to us that are true, uh, and the facts that we ourselves uh, as observers, as scientists, and I've said this many times before, it's important that I say it here, every human being, in order to stay alive, in order to be successful in whatever dimension success uh, is to be measured, have to be able to uh, be scientists. We have to be able to figure out what's good for us and what's bad for us. We have to figure out what we're supposed to eat so that we can live a healthy life until we're 80 or 90 or maybe even 100. We have to be able to figure out how to cross a street. We have to be able to figure out uh, if we want to have sex uh, and we want to form a love relationship with other human beings uh, as adults that contain all of the elements that make a really good, long-term, sustaining, nurturant relationship. How to do this? What do we say? How do we behave? How do we act? So all of these things are uh, what a scientist tries to figure out. Uh, what do I do to stay alive? What do I do to live a long life? What do I do to understand how to solve the many, many endless problems that life throws at us? At the same time, we are all moral judges. We all make a constant series of judgments about the observations and the explanations we come to in life. They're good or they're bad. We're constantly observing and trying to understand people. As, as scientists, we are all psychologists. And uh, psychology has been called by uh, a number of individuals, uh, R.D. Lang, a psychiatrist whose work has always fascinated me, called psychology the prince of sciences. Why? Because in order to really succeed with people and with ourselves, uh, a deeper understanding of what motivates us, of why we behave as we behave, why do we form the stories that we live by, why do we become the characters in those stories? Uh, why do these things occur? Uh, and, and if necessary, how do we change them in ourselves and others in ways that uh, feel right, uh, that are non-coercive, uh, that allow individuals to make profound changes in lives that they themselves feel are not being lived to the best advantage? So we're all psychologists. And we're all moral judges about people and ourselves. There are good people and bad people. There are people who do things uh, that are right and do things that are wrong. There are people who do things that are helpful and things that are hurtful. Now, what's interesting about judgments and descriptions is that descriptions carry no value and they carry no judgment if they're good descriptions, if they're good explanations. Uh, if I notice that somebody that I go out for dinner with on a regular basis never leaves a tip, that's merely my description. He doesn't leave a tip. 
Uh, as a good scientist, I might be interested in why doesn't he leave a tip? Uh, what is motivating him? Uh, is there a relationship between he and this or she and the, and the waiter or waitress so that they don't leave a tip? Uh, is he tending to spend too much money on his dinner so that there's no more money for a tip? Now, all of these are questions that will try to answer uh, the reason he doesn't leave a tip. But I can also judge this individual. I can make a judgment. I can say uh, it's wrong that he doesn't leave a tip. It's morally wrong. It's not right. The waiter or waitress works a very hard way. What I can also do is use a label to explain his, to, to, to judge him and say, boy, is this guy cheap. Now, let me back up a second, because one of the things I have talked about many times over many years on this show and many other shows and in my books and my writing is the fact that we confuse very often our descriptions with judgments. We make especially about people judgments than use them as description. My friend does not leave tips, therefore he's cheap. Why doesn't he leave tips? Because he's cheap. I have now gone around in a circle. I have stuck my head up my own butt. What I think I now can do is explain his behavior. By making a judgment, he's cheap. I have an understanding of his behavior. The problem is I have no understanding at all. Uh, the questions I asked before about his motive, about his relationship with the waiter or the waitress, uh, these are all important questions that have no answer. I could ask him. He might tell me. I might observe him over time, create scientific and psychological hypotheses to make myself a better psychologist about this individual because psychology is supposed to describe and explain and help us understand ourselves and the behavior of the people around us. But instead, I use the word cheap. Uh, I, for years, I would listen to students being described lazy by their teachers. Lazy? What does that mean? It means that the student didn't hand in work on time or in one way or another refuses or is unable, and we don't know whether it's a refusal or it's unable, to do certain kinds of work or write a paper. And as a teacher, it's very difficult to find out. You have a lot of students. There's only one of you. The time is limited. The problem is by calling the student lazy and ultimately having the student call himself lazy provides an imitation of an explanation. It's make-believe. It has no meaning whatsoever. He didn't do his work. He's lazy. Why didn't he do his work? Because he's lazy. We've gone around in a circle. For those of you who might have been following me, uh, I came to these conclusions with the psychiatric work, uh, with the idea of being a psychologist and a clinical psychologist involved with so-called clinical work and the, the story that psychiatry produces. Psychiatry has very few explanations for human behavior. Why do people hallucinate? Why do people wash their hands 40 times in one day? Why does an individual masturbate uh, uh, 15, 20, 30 times a day? 
we have all kinds of, of needs to understand ourselves and other people, particularly if as psychologists and psychiatrists or mental health individuals or people in the mental health field, or unfortunately what I refer to as the mental health industry, we're supposed to help these people. But instead, we label them. And the labels, fancy psychiatric labels, end up being the explanation for the behavior. Why does somebody hallucinate? Because they are schizophrenic or have schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is the reason they hallucinate. We wouldn't call them schizophrenic if they didn't hallucinate. And there are no other biological explanations we have for the hallucination unless, of course, we listen closely. I'll talk a little bit about that in a while. Uh, because when you listen closely to the stories individuals tell, then the question remains not why do they hallucinate, but what's the mechanism of hallucination? Because you begin to understand that psychologically a hallucination in which God speaks to somebody uh, or tells God, God tells you to jump out a window or voices condemn you or voices extol you uh, is deeply meaningful. It's very much a part of the fabric of the story that somebody lives by. It has great meaning. And it, I think it behooves us to try and understand it. But because they hallucinate, they're schizophrenic. And why do they hallucinate? Because they're schizophrenic. We've just gone around in the same circle as when we use lazy or when we use uh, uh, the word uh, cheap or when somebody doesn't learn something the way we want them to, stupid. Uh, we don't know how people learn. We have no understanding of the mechanism of learning. So much of it goes on unconsciously, outside of where we can even talk about the mechanisms by which we learn something. And yet we fill in all the gaps and we give up the idea of being a good scientist with this kind of, 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 of pseudo a psychological explanation in which we've taken our moral judgments about someone or something and used them as a kind of an explanation, thereby losing the moral value and all of the psychological and scientific value of what we're trying to understand. It makes us cruel judges because... Uh, uh, to judge without understanding, I believe, is a kind of a cruelty, a kind of oppression. Uh, now, again, let me turn it around, because there are ways in which we explain everything and say, well, the individual couldn't help themselves. The individual uh, is at the mercy of psychological forces in their life and their past, what their mother did, their father did, what society has done, and therefore they're not responsible for the illness that motivates them. So that there isn't, we, we use a moral judgment like schizophrenia or lazy or stupid, uh, but at the same time, we divest it of any moral meaning. And where we are at that point is really nowhere. We are really in great, great trouble because we haven't explained anything and we have lost our ability to say that something is right or wrong because we now pretend that the word that defines that something is wrong, something is bad, something may be harmful, 
to the individual, to us, to society in general, uh, is not really a moral term. Okay? So if you're following this, this is what I think I hear when I hear discussions about Mel Gibson and Tiger Woods and Lindsay Lohan. The question always is asked, what's wrong with them? Well, let me go to, to Mel Gibson because of the three I find him at this moment personally the most interesting. Uh, I certainly hung on all the discussions about Tiger Woods, and I'm using Lindsay Lohan because uh, she's so much in the news, but I personally have no interest in Lindsay Lohan whatsoever. I kind of feel sorry for her, even though uh, my sorrow about her and the way she lives her life uh, um, and what she does is, is uh, really uh, my own personal bias. I don't know anything about Lindsay. I don't know anything about what motivates her. I have no psychological or historical or, psych or sociological knowledge about this young lady who seems to get herself into so much difficulty with drugs and alcohol um, and seems to uh, uh, be living a life that uh, won't let her live beyond a certain point uh, as a young woman. I mean, she will, if she continues to do what she's doing, destroy herself, although she makes lots of money for the media and provides much entertainment uh, for so many people whose lives are built on the stories of gossip that fill up the media. But Mel Gibson is another story. Um, I used to love him as an actor when he was in Mad Max. Uh, he, I thought he was terrific. There was a kind of a, a uh, real uh, macho and yet sensitive quality to him as an actor. And then a couple of years ago, I heard his rant to the police about a Jew's and the terrible anti-Semitism that came out of his mouth, and he was lost to me. And I have to admit here that when I make a moral judgment that what he did was wrong and destructive, I feel it on a very deep personal basis, and I have no desire to f see his, any of his movies anymore. I won't. Um, and uh, uh, I find him at that point, and this is a judgment, a despicable individual. Uh, I take anti-Semitism very, very seriously because I'm Jewish. Now, having said that he's despicable, I want nothing to do with him because from my point of view, he's not a good human being, not a good person. I have to admit, I have no understanding of why he has lived by that kind of a story or why he has constructed that kind of a story at this point in his life. I have no understanding. Maybe it's due to alcohol and drugs. Uh, maybe his father, who apparently also spewed a great deal of anti-Semitism, uh, in, in inculcated this in his head and, and provided him with this terrible prejudice. I have no explanation. But in this case, I don't care to have an explanation. I personally am finished with him. And I feel completely comfortable about that. I don't, I feel, have to explain everything that every human being does if what I think they do is so reprehensible that I choose not to explain it. Now, while I'm watching television, and my wife was watching um, The View, which I have to admit I watch on occasion, 
and uh, find some interest in. Uh, I think it's kind of a groundbreaking show in some ways to have a group of women uh, discuss uh, events uh, from their own individual and, and collective point of view. Uh, I think Whoopi Goldberg is terrific. But they're now discussing his, his behavior in which he apparently punched his wife in the face, broke her teeth while she held her, uh, their child, uh, and at the same time spewed a horrendous invective about women calling her a cunt and calling her uh, all kinds of names uh, that I think are destructive for a variety of reasons that I will discuss either today or if I don't have time on my next show. Uh, well, let me just back up a second from here. The problem with so many of the people I've ever worked with who needed so-called psychiatric or psychological help is that their stories were based upon uh, their being characters defined by moral judgments that they accepted as descriptive that defined their life. They were stupid, they were ugly, they shouldn't have been born, they were no good, they were bums. Um, uh, and and uh, I do believe, I've said this again a number of times in a number of venues, I don't think the world will make it unless every human being is allowed to come to their full creative potential. And more than half of the human beings on this planet are women, and only a small percentage of them, I believe, most in the West, most in Europe and the United States, are allowed to become their own full person. What they are bound by are all kinds of moral judgments about girls and women which are internalized and allow them to accept all kinds of religious and political ideologies that uh, keep them from becoming the creative uh, forces that we need to help us solve the kind of horrendous political and warlike and moral problems that are now wiping this planet out. So I, I make that statement. Uh, I stand on it. I believe it to my heart's depth. Uh, and so women are, are being judged constantly with labels. The weaker sex, the, the, the God made them the second, uh, uh, the second uh, beings. Uh, they're not first. They're inferior. They're weak. They're stupid. They're silly. I hear this constantly and all around me. Women are. Now, certainly women get back and say men are. And I object to that just as much because... One set of moral, destructive moral judgments doesn't justify another set of moral, destructive judgments. But, but this, this kind of behavior that Gibson showed to the, his, his uh, girlfriend, I think her name is Oksana, uh, I think is despicable, destructive, damaging, and dangerous. And given his anti-Semitic rants, uh, I'm finished with him. Again, I don't explain him. But what I hear on the media, what I heard one day, is uh, the question, can he be redeemed? And how should he be redeemed? Through therapy, because he's sick. And this is something I see constantly and hear constantly around me on the media. He's a sick person. The labels we apply to him, he's an alcoholic, he's taking drugs, he's a drunk all of these things 
make him sick. The idea of redemption is a religious idea. And it's one of the characters on The View who tends to provide a religious point of view. He needs to be redeemed. What should he do? Go for therapy. So that we therapists in this view are now completing the circle of becoming the moral arbiters of society. It is our labels that explain everything when in fact they explain nothing. And we now help individuals work away from those labels so that they can be morally redeemed, pretending that this is not a moral issue, but it is a therapeutic or a healing issue. Mel and Lindsay and Tiger need to be healed. I don't think they need to be healed. I think they need to understand themselves and the motives that drive them. I think they need to understand the source of these, and perhaps if they went into work with some professional, that might happen. But at the same time, at the same time, I don't think it's helpful for us not to make moral judgments about the behavior of these individuals or any individuals or about ourselves when we are destructive to others or live according to a set of morals in which destruction of others is a moral uh, uh, statement. I think murder is bad. I think hurting people. I think destroying the egos of people. I think it's all very bad. Those are my moral judgments. They're my opinion. Because all moral uh, judgments are opinions. Descriptions lead to facts. There's a mouse in front of me. Not a real mouse, a computer mouse. And if a hundred people come into this room, they will say the mouse is there unless they're blind or unless, for whatever reason, they don't want to see the mouse. But basically, this mouse can become a fact because it can be verified by anybody who sees it with two eyes. Not the same about Mel Gibson and the judgments applied to him, which supposedly uh, are supposed to be uh, helped to go away by therapy. The, 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 uh, Whoopi, who I like very much, Whoopi Goldberg, says he's not a racist, he's a bonehead. Now, I laugh at that. The problem is, what does bonehead mean? It has no meaning whatsoever. Bonehead means anything you want it to mean. It certainly is a negative. Uh, I would not like to be called a bonehead. And if I called somebody a bonehead, they would understand I'm being uh, negatively judgmental about them. But at the same time, it's not descriptive. It does not add to any kind of understanding or explanation about why Mel Gibson behaves as Mel Gibson behaves. So, where are we? Uh, I think that moral judgments and morality, a set of moral rules, uh, are the product of society and the individuals within it. I have said many times, I'll say again, I do not believe that God... Uh, provided the Ten Commandments or provided morality. That, to me, is a desperate attempt of human beings to form a morality that will be universal, that everybody will follow. 
It doesn't work. For me, it doesn't work because I refuse to believe. I can't believe in anything supernatural or any higher power. I don't believe there will ever be one set of moral principles that will guide everybody. <clears throat> but I do believe that we each have the responsibility of establishing in our own lives, as we create the story we live by, what we believe is right or wrong. And unless others can convince us uh, that we need to modify that point of view, uh, it becomes the basis for the laws that, by which we live our life and organize our society. Um, for example, uh, I understand that so much of the Muslim community treats women the way they do, and by the way, the Orthodox Jewish community perceives women the way they do because of a justification from the Bible. But I reject the Bible and all of its uh, uh, implications that God who is almost always described as a male figure, is the individual who created this morality. And so I see this coming out of sociological and psychological and historical needs, and I reject them. I believe that any society or any group that dehumanizes women or dehumanizes anybody by race or religion is morally wrong. And that's the principle, and that's what I would argue would hopefully become the law of the kind of society I would want to live in and the law that would govern my children, my grandchildren, and those who come in contact with me. And most of all, that I would struggle to live my life according to that morality and the principles that I've just enunciated, that, that you don't dehumanize women, you don't dehumanize blacks, Jews, you don't dehumanize Hispanics, I mean, I turn on the radio, I can't even bear to listen to some of the stuff about Hispanics. Oh, yes, in Mexico there were tremendous drug deals, and there was much violence, and it is awful if these individuals now come into our culture. But not because they are Mexican or Hispanic, but because of the culture in which they live, which, as I explain it, doesn't justify it or make it moral. So... It's morally wrong for these individuals to kill. I believe it's morally right for us to stop them, but not because we have dehumanized a whole group of individuals with some of the labels and names that are being applied to individuals uh, who are Hispanic or of Hispanic descent. So, to explain all is not to forgive all, although that is the danger. To explain all is easily to forgive all. But to judge and use the judgment as, as an explanation is to explain nothing. And at the same time, when we explain, we still have to keep separate our moral judgments, our opinions about what's right or wrong, and try to work them into a society in which there would then be some kind of real justice and fairness along the principles we believe define right and wrong. Gee, I covered basically what I wanted to say. I don't know if this makes sense to others. I don't know if anybody is listening. By the way, the call-in number that you have, I'm not sure which call-in number we're even talking about. I think it's on my home homepage, uh, is now uh, uh, free, toll-free. 
I uh, paid some money to get a block of time that makes it toll-free. So if anybody would like to call in and have a discussion, uh, again, I'm going to stay on this time period, 8 o'clock on Monday night, for as long as I can. I may change it to another night, uh, but night I think is better than day. Uh, I think there are more people might be around to hear this. And I really do want to have a conversation with uh, people. So I'm going to try to keep this. Uh, 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 I keep getting a call that uh, they want me to play bridge on Monday night. And uh, I'm not particularly uh, in love with the... Uh, I like bridge, but uh, I keep getting bad cards. And uh, on Monday night, uh, the particular game, uh, while I like all the people in it, it's generally not particularly exciting or thrilling for me. So uh, I may keep Monday night, but I'm going to try after the next three weeks. Now, I'm going up to uh, visit my children and grandchildren uh, this Sunday. I'm going to leave and uh, drive uh, 1,300 miles to see them, uh, something that uh, I'm not particularly happy about. Uh, but I'll do it. I have a nice car. Oh, wait a second. I have somebody who wants to say hello. Hello? Hello? Hey, it's Barry. Hello, Barry. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I uh, I, I listened to your show tonight. It was really good, as Thank usual. You. Yeah, I don't know if I'm ranting and raving or I'm saying anything that's well, not. Of course so, you but, are. Uh, yeah, no, to me it sounds okay. I'm really glad you called <laughs> in. Uh, what's been going on? Oh, um, oh, a lot of stuff. But um, I wanted to, to just um, say that I think, you know, everything you're saying is, is good, and I know you always are hoping to get people to call in, and I thought I would just call in tonight. And I, and I can't tell you how yeah, much I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. But when you're speaking into, into blank air. <laughs> in fact, when I get home, I think I'm going to go on to some of the premium levels. Uh, uh-huh. if I can, I see if I can uh, broaden this. Uh, oh, maybe did I, we... When I get back, maybe I'll get in contact with you again. And okay. uh, you can help me figure out how to do this chat. Because when I open up the chat session, it yeah. covers the whole screen. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'd be I glad to help you. I can't see the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. Very good. Well, I'd be glad to... to uh do your producing for you if you need uh, run the switchboard and stuff. But uh, I actually moved from Atlanta to Virginia to be closer to my kids and stuff. Where in Virginia? Uh, just west of Richmond. Uh huh. I'm going to be up there probably in in a couple of days. Although with Trump, my wife doesn't with the heat doesn't want to stop. Uh, we were going to originally plan to go to Sh- uh, Charleston for a couple of nights on the way up. Because I really would like to see Charleston, and then go up to see um, uh, Thomas Jefferson's uh, Monticello, uh-huh. which in Charlottesville. Uh, I w- when we were first, you know, there, we're being recorded, right? Yeah, that's okay. Okay, all right. Uh, and I was going to go there, but <clears throat> it's just kind of uh, real hot, so I may change all of those plans. And so uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson may have to wait another few years. <laughs> For us to show up, but anyway, uh, okay. So uh, I think I'm about done. Uh, maybe, okay. Maybe somebody else would like to call in. I mean, you broke the ice, and I really do. I really do appreciate it, Barry. Yeah, I've I've got you on my um, list 
to, and I get notices when you come on, but I usually don't call in. I just listen. Yeah. But, uh, oh, that's good. But that's I need really to call good. in more. But, okay, yeah, I, I, and I know you've thought of giving this up several times, but um, I don't think you should. I think you probably still have a few. Yeah, well, what happens is I find myself saying things over and over again. And then I start to feel, well, you know what? Uh, you never know who will hear what you say over and over again. And if right. it has a good effect, and that's certainly <clears throat> what I'd like to uh, think I have, uh, then, it, then it's, uh, I should do it. Uh, but also what motivates me is I opened up a new practice down here. I came out of retirement. Oh, great. Yes, yes. I'm 70 years old, and I'm going back into business. I have uh, uh, my wife's cousin and a friend down here who's a psychologist. One, uh, the cousin is a psychiatrist. <clears throat> we're opening up an office down here. And uh-huh. uh, we're doing a lot of advertising. And, uh, oh, wow. Yeah, and I've tat- I have a hyperlink between my, my website, which I'm first constructing. There's no point going there because there's not a lot on it. And this uh, uh, on the blog here. So I feel the more I add to the blog, the more anybody who comes to the uh, sure. website right. uh, can figure out who I am and maybe if they want to come and see me, and uh, that would be really great. I've, I've always thought that doing counseling by phone is almost as good. But um, By the way, I agree with you. And one of the things I, I'm convinced about is that over the 40 years that I taught college, I help more people, and I got more out of it than doing the therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really do. I mean, if you, well, I, I could, uh, I could probably use a little therapy. So we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, I'm going to hang up now. I think All right. I'm, I appreciate I'm, it. It was good talking to you again. again. And to All everybody right. who is listening or will listen, uh, have a good night. All right. And I do this again at the end of August. I'll be back at, towards the end of August. Um, I hope that you will uh, join us then. Take care. All right. Sure. Bye-bye. Thank you.